Okay, ironically, the start of this show has to be censored just for a moment, because if, if we don't self-censor here, or at least bleep out, I'm not going to self-censor what I say, but we sometimes have to censor what we post on YouTube, because otherwise I'll be banned by big tech if I say this. Um, but I'm not not going to say something just because of a threat of censorship from big tech. We're just going to be smart and strategic about this. So you can obviously find this for free. This is not this is not a paywall trick. You can find this for free. Um, the audio is on Apple Podcasts. You can find the video on Liz Wheeler Show Locals, lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Um, but what, what I have to say is, is very important. So I asked last night, I was talking to the Liz Wheeler Show community, all the VIPs over there. We were talking about the stories of the week. We were talking about Durham specifically, because just about every one of you wanted to discuss more about Durham's filing, about Hillary Clinton paying a, paying a law firm to spy essentially or infiltrate servers in Trump Tower, in Trump's home and in the White House, and what this means. I mean, this is, this is the proof that we've been waiting for. This is a smoking gun. This is absolutely beyond, beyond mind-blowing, of course. Um, whether there's going to be accountability or not, I think it's a big question. But I, I was rereading the Durham filing itself yesterday just to, you know, see if there was anything that I missed the first time, see if there was anything that stuck out to me the second time that I was perusing it. And my thought that I, the thought that I had while, while rereading this, this court filing wasn't even about the content of what I was reading. I, I literally sat there and I thought, listen, this is, this is, a presidential candidate, a Democrat, Hillary Clinton, who actually paid a law firm to contract a tech company or whoever it was to, to infiltrate the servers of another presidential candidate, the political opposition, in order to plant evidence to try to frame the presidential candidate for treason, collusion with a foreign country in order to not only win the presidency, but then take down you know, Trump if he, if he won, when he won, which she tried to do. And I thought to myself, if they're willing to do this, I mean, they meaning the radical left, Hillary Clinton, the Democratic Party apparatus, if they're willing to do this, and they are, they did this in multiple ways, but if they're willing to do this, of course they rigged the election. This, this is so obvious to me at this point, and I, I don't quite understand the mindset from a lot of conservatives who want to move past what happened in 2020. They are worried about being labeled conspiracy theorists, maybe. They want, they crave validation in the eyes of the mainstream media or the Democrats. They just want to be respected by the opposition. They want to, quote unquote, get us back to civil dialogue and politics, which I would argue never existed in the first place. I think that that's a utopia that's a naive utopia that just doesn't exist. Um, but that was, that was my main takeaway from this second read is if they're willing to do this, if the Democrats and Hillary Clinton are willing to hack into Trump's servers to plant evidence, of course they were willing to rig the election. It's actually nothing. It's actually nothing to think about um, subverting election laws and rules and provisions on state levels, on local levels, on precinct levels compared to what Hillary Clinton did to Donald Trump's Computer servers in the White House, even the executive office of the president. Rigging the election is absolutely nothing compared to what they did. And there was an enterprising young journalist whose safety I now fear for from the Daily Mail who confronted Hillary Clinton about this report from Durham or this court filing from Durham. And this is the video that she got. It's bone chilling to watch Hillary Clinton. Take a look at this. Hillary, Laura Collins, Daily Mail, did you pay to spy on the Trump campaign? When are you going to comment on the spying allegations, Hillary? 
Did you pay for the having spied on? I she reminds me of a Bond villain. And I don't I don't mean to cast her as a character or as a caricature or to downplay the severity of what she did, but she's just so cold and so calculating and so unconcerned with accountability that it 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 chills my actual bones. It chills my actual bones to see this woman. And again, I mean, what did I say? It's nothing to them to commit wrongdoing at a state and local level if they're willing to do this at the federal level. It's shocking. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. This plays into a bigger point that I want to make today. Again, this is this is my thoughtful meanderings as I am thinking about accountability and then thinking about, well, how do we the people, if our justice system, meaning if the Department of Justice, which is under the control of Biden right now and Kamala Harris, if our Department of Justice isn't willing to hold Hillary Clinton accountable, if, um, if there's not going to be legal repercussions for what she did, at least at the current time, how do we the people hold accountable this apparatus which allows corruption? And I know this is philosophical, but it's a, it's a thought process that needs to happen because we can't just sit here and count on other people. Just the way that we can't sit here and count on Joe Rogan to be our savior against COVID tyranny. We can't even truly just sit here and hope that the Canadian trucker convoy comes here to the United States. We have to be able to take action too. And so I thought, well, what action can we take? What action can we take to hold the corrupt apparatus here in the United States accountable in a way that would actually be effective? I can sit here and talk all day long. You and I can go out to the voting booth. We can go to the polling place. We can cast our votes. That's very important. Both things are very important. But how do we deconstruct the apparatus that allows this corruption to occur? And so this is what I want to talk about. And I want to talk about it in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you about Beam Organics. Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity, and that sleeping less than six to seven hours per night is linked to reduced white blood cell count, having a consistent nighttime routine is so important. Well, allow me to introduce to you Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for everything from sleep to recovery. And today, you, my listeners, get a special discount available for Beam's sleep product, Dream Powder, their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. It contains natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients, triple lab-tested, no THC, of course, and you wake up refreshed. 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. And Beam's premium nano CBD dramatically increases your body's ability to absorb CBD, making their products the most effective in the wellness space. You just mix Beam Dream into hot water, milk, stir, and enjoy 30 minutes before bedtime. If you don't love it, you get your money back guaranteed. For a limited time, get $20 off when you go to beamorganics.com slash Liz and use code Liz at checkout. That's B-E-A-M organics.com slash Liz and use code Liz for $20 off at checkout. Okay, so how do we deconstruct this apparatus that allows corruption to this level? And whenever, whenever I sit here and analyze a problem, you first have to identify what, or I first identify, what is the problem? Let's define what is the problem. And then we can't, we can't create a solution until we have identified the what is it, what is it-ness of the problem. What is it? Let's define it. So part of the problem, of course, was rule breaking 
irregularities and other shady business that occurred at individual precincts in states across the country in 2020. And I'm, I'm not trying to be vague here. I'm not trying to appease the censorship of big tech here, but Margot Cleveland on The Federalist has an incredible article where she is introducing exclusively video proof of really serious irregularities in Pennsylvania precincts. This is what uh, Cleveland writes as The Federalist. She says, the video and audio hits just keep on coming from Delaware County, Pennsylvania where a whistleblower secretly taped the aftermath of the chaos from the 2020 presidential election. Two recent recordings exclusively obtained by The Federalist from a source with knowledge of the recordings provide further evidence that systemic problems plague the large Pennsylvania county. Now, of course, remember the background of this is remember how critical Pennsylvania was to the outcome of the electoral count in 2020. We all know this. Cleveland says the newest recordings provide some of the frankest discussion on how bad the behind the scenes situation was with one election worker describing a part of the post-election situa situation as abominable and the attempts to do the impossible, reconcile some precincts voter sheets as, quote, a nightmare. The whistleblower, Regina Miller, began recording conversations involving Delaware County officials after she became concerned with what she saw as a contract worker assisting election employees. A source familiar with the videos explained that Miller made the recordings as election workers scrambled to find and in some cases create documentation in response to a right to know request that sought copies of the paperwork that would confirm the accuracy of the vote tally certified for the 2020 election. So let's just pause there for a second. There's now video evidence that election workers in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, a very critical county to the outcome of Pennsylvania and therefore the entire electoral college, the entire national election, these election workers created documentation. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that they that they simply documented and produced the documentation. They created it because they didn't have it and weren't able to reconcile it. That this might seem nitty-gritty. This is a really big deal. Again, go back to what I said at the beginning of the show. Durham's filing. If the Democrat apparatus is willing to do that, if Hillary Clinton is willing to pay to pay a law firm to technologically infiltrate Trump's personal servers and presidential servers, then what won't, what won't the left do? This, this kind of shenanigans, this kind of lawbreaking is nothing. It's nothing to them compared to the extent they were willing to go. This is what Cleveland says. To date, the videos have exposed a wide array of problems with election integrity, including on-tape admissions that the election laws were not complied with, that 80% of provisional ballots lacked a proper chain of custody, Remember, chain of custody is important because if you don't know who had their hands on your ballot, you can't verify the integrity of that vote. They could have been tampered with. It's a vulnerability to fraud. It's not proof that fraud occurred, but it is a critical vulnerability to fraud. She says that there were missing removable drives for some of the voting machines and that election workers recreated new drives to respond to the right to know request. The most recent video, she says, reveals a new area of concern related to the reconciliation of the voting totals in the precincts. Captured on film in this video was a conversation between one election worker and the whistleblower. With boxes of voting sheets lining the basement floor of a Delaware County building, the election worker tells Miller, quote, there were six precincts in one location and all the machines were, all of the scanners were programmed to accept any ballot of those six precincts. Take a look at this video for yourself. It's really crazy. Uh, here's the... This is the. This is a good one. Why don't I take that one? That's the. There were six precincts in one location, oh, wow. and all of the machines were, all the scanners were programmed to accept 
Any ballot? Any ballot of those six precincts. Okay. Which we are not doing. We're not doing this time. Yeah. It was a nightmare. Yeah. You mentioned that. You couldn't, there's no way you could reconcile. So were people voting, they were scanning in any one of the ballots? Any, any ballot the... in any one of the scanners is what right. I meant to say. And there were... So th this was an undercover video, remember. And sometimes the most honest words are spoken when you think that you are obviously not being recorded. The most honest words are spoken when you were just in a basement somewhere. And this is, this is the truth. This is the reality. There was no way, they said, to reconcile the results. So we're talking about this corruption apparatus. Now, a story like this would go a long way, or reporting like this, I should say, reporting like this should go a long way to undermining the apparatus that allows corruption. Yet, we're not allowed to talk about this. And when I say we're not allowed to talk about this, obviously I'm sitting here talking about it with you right now, but big tech doesn't allow us to talk about election integrity. Anything that questions the integrity of the 2020 election, even reporting, even undercover videos, even the words of election workers themselves, testimony or undercover videos is disallowed on big tech platforms. Why? Because in order to protect corruption, you have to silence reality. You have to stifle the truth. You have to, and to do that, of course, requires censorship. So this, this censorship that we see at the hands of big tech isn't just an arbitrary, disgruntled, liberal individual who happens to work in the quality control department of YouTube or Twitter. No, no. Th this, is, this is a built apparatus, a, a, a large apparatus with a goal in mind, a very specific goal in mind to protect the corrupt institutions that the left needs in order to get away with their law-breaking activity. Whether it's Hillary Clinton, you know, look at how she walked by that video. Think about her posture in that video. That's not a woman who thinks she's gonna go to jail. That's not, that's not a politician who understands that their corruption has been exposed and that they're gonna be held accountable. That is the chilled soul of a criminal who knows she is above the law because she has a protective apparatus around her. Again, the what is it-ness of the problem has to come first before the solution. So if you look, I mean, like I said, I go back to what I said at the very beginning, looking at this Durham filing, looking at this, it makes it impossible for any rational thinking adult individual, especially a conservative, to believe that this is just a, a, a bunch of liberal programmers, like I said, at YouTube or Twitter, tweaking conservatives that they don't like. No, this is not just bias. These are not isolated incidents. This is a concerted, deliberate plot to subvert our free and fair elections and take over our government. And some people might say, well, that's really hyperbolic. No, it is not hyperbolic when the evidence shows that that's true. There's a difference between a conspiracy theory and a conspiracy. The thing about conspiracies is sometimes conspiracies are true. We've seen this for ourselves. How much evidence does it take to convince even people in the Republican Party that the Democrats will, by hook or by crook, try to take Republicans down? We saw this with Trump-Russia allegations. We saw this with the so-called Ukraine whistleblower. We've seen this. We've seen this time and time again where Democrats have weaponized the government, the power of the federal government, to unfairly, criminally target or undermine make false accusations that they know are false, plant evidence against a Republican because he's a Republican, even when he's a duly elected president of the United States. That is what you call a conspiracy. It was a concerted effort to try to take someone out based on false allegations. 
So again, it's impossible to believe that this is just, well, Silicon Valley's kind of liberal. I bet all of their programmers who write their algorithms have an individual bias and the individual bias just happens to target conservatives. No, obviously not. Look at the, look at the extent. Again, talking about this apparatus, it's not one person. It's not two people. It's not one institution, two institution. It's a, an intertwined apparatus built specifically to protect corruption and lawbreaking. Look at the extent big tech is willing to censor conservatives. Again, this is not a coincidence. There's a really famous Twitter account or a really popular conservative Twitter account called Defiant Ls. You're all probably, anybody who's on Twitter is probably familiar with Defiant Ls. Defiant Ls doesn't actually tweet their own opinion. What Defiant Ls does, and we can, we can show this picture on the screen, is puts a comparison or juxtaposes two tweets from, from liberals to show their hypocrisy. So for example, you, there, there was a mayoral candidate who was the subject of an assassination attempt in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a horrible story, truly horrible story. Um, and the assassination attempt was committed by an activist named Quintez Brown. So back in 2019, Quintez Brown, who was actually worked for a newspaper in Louisville, Kentucky, which makes this an even wilder story, tweeted, Kentucky's concealed carry law shows that your life doesn't matter to gun-loving Republicans. This individual, this is the headline from Quintez, from Quintez Brown, okay? So fast forward to 2022, and this is, this is the headline from the Courier-Journal, his, his newspaper, activist Quintez Brown named an attempted shooting of Louisville mayor candidate Greenberg. Okay, so all of this is to say what Defiant L's, the Twitter account does is, you know, juxtaposes these two tweets. So we can see this on the screen right here. You can see that uh, in the top is the tweet from Quintez Brown, this, this column that he wrote, blaming Republicans and guns for all the ills in our country. And then bottom is, well, Quintez Brown is now a suspect or he's named in an attempted shooting. So what does this do? This exposes leftist hypocrisy. This exposes you know, woke elitism, this, you know, shows us, exposes that the Democratic Party and Democratic operatives are corrupt. This is what Defiant Else does on Twitter. There's also, look at this one from Justin, about Justin Trudeau. In um, 2012, this is what Justin Trudeau tweeted. When a government starts trying to cancel dissent or avoid dissent is when it's rapidly losing its moral authority to govern. And this was Trudeau quoting Stephen Harper, prime minister at the time in 2005. So what did Defiant Else do? Defiant Else put that tweet at the top and at the bottom shows Justin Trudeau's communism, where now he is tweeting. This was just two days ago on Valentine's Day, three days ago on Valentine's Day. Trudeau saying, the ongoing blockades and occupations are presenting serious challenges to law enforcement's ability to effectively enforce the law. Because of that, the federal government is invoking the Emergencies Act to supplement provincial and territorial capacity. So what does this do? Obviously, this juxtaposes the idea that in 2005, or in two, not in 2005, in 2012, Justin Trudeau is saying, you know, only, only tyrants want to stifle dissent. Well, fast forward 10 years, and Justin Trudeau is a tyrant trying to stifle dissent. This is what this Twitter account does. There's a third example here, and in my opinion, this is probably the single tweet, the single graphic that got Defiant L's banned from Twitter. It's an unfair ban. Apparently, Twitter told um, the operator of this account that the violation was ban evasion, meaning if you have an account and on Twitter and you're banned and then you make another account that's against the terms of service of Twitter, once you're banned, you as a person are banned. It's not just your specific account or username. However, the operator of this account says that he's never had, he or she, I guess, I don't know who's behind it, um, that he's never had 
any any accounts banned before. So the the allegation from Twitter that he's just evading a ban is it's BS. It's it's untrue. It's just Twitter's way of silencing him. But this is this is the um, the tweet I think or the graphic I think it made the biggest difference. So Hillary Clinton in 2016 said, "Computer scientists." This is October 31st, 2016. So right before the election, computer scientists have apparently uncovered a covert server linking the Trump organization to a Russian-based bank. Well, compare that to the 13th of February, 2022, Clinton campaign paid tech workers to dig up Trump-Russia connections. And it, of course, it, of course, links to the Durham, the Durham court filing. Um, this is what this account does. This is not violating anybody's terms of service. This is not even, this is not even opinion from Defiant Ls. And yet big tech censors completely bans a permanent ban on Defiant Ls. Um, again, this is not an isolated incident. This is not a disgruntled worker in big tech, a liberal bias in an algorithm that unintentionally targets conservatives. No, this is this is a concerted effort by big tech. So why does big tech need to do this? Why do they need to do this? The same holds true, by the way, for the mainstream media. The mainstream media, remember, back in 2016 and 2017 and 2018, the mainstream media cared about nothing more than they cared about Trump-Russia collusion. They wanted to know if there was a connection between Donald Trump and Russia. Actually, they didn't, let me rephrase that. They didn't want to know. They claimed definitively without proof that there was a corrupt connection between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. This was obviously based on the invented Steele dossier, which Hillary Clinton again paid to fund. And that's all the mainstream media cared about. But now, now when we have actual corruption related to those allegations that they were so obsessed with, they don't care at all. They've barely mentioned the, the biggest cable news channels, the biggest leftist cable news channels, I should say, do not care at all. They've barely covered it. So this is not, again, this is not an isolated, an isolated bias at big tech. This is not an isolated, dishonest newscaster at big media. This is not an isolated crook at the Department of Justice and the FBI. This is not even just Hillary Clinton. But first, I want to tell you about a fun, a sweet opportunity to win a chance at a signed picture from President Trump with all the political pressure of the left that we're all experiencing, the woke mob, the fact that the woke mob has now become the Democrat Party. Our society has ultimately become controlled by these cancel culture elites. That's what we're talking about today on the show. Since when have the founders of our constitution, the American flag, Dr. Seuss, and many other things become un-American? This is according to the left. Well, there's never been a better time in our nation's history to stand up against this woke mob and fight back. You can do just that with this exclusive offer I'm giving, it, giving to my listeners only for a limited time. Now is your chance to win a signed picture by President Trump himself. That's right. Not only will you be taking a stand against the radical left, you'll be entering to win a piece of history. All you have to do is text the word Liz, L-I-Z, to 55404. Do that today to enter. That's L-I-Z to 55404. Join me in standing up for President Trump and canceling the radical left once and for all. That's Liz to 55404. L-I-Z to 55404. It's fun. It's free. L-I-Z to 55404. This is paid for by the National Republican Senatorial Committee. Okay, so if we're thinking about this thought experiment that what, what can we do, what can we as individuals do to dismantle this apparatus, we have to understand that the reason that we are experiencing big tech censorship or the reason that we are experiencing mainstream media blackouts of stories is, of course, to protect 
the corruption of the political elites on the left. Because without the censorship, without the blackouts from the mainstream media, without the the bans, the prohibitions on our free speech, our discussions, our reporting on these stories on big tech, then the American people would be aware of what was happening. And regardless of what side of the aisle that we're on, Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives, no one likes a corrupt politician. So of course, these apparatuses or this intertwined apparatus has to be constructed to stifle to stifle the truth, to stifle reality. It's why, as I said, that we had to censor the first couple sentences of this show because YouTube actually doesn't allow me to say what I said without the threat of being banned. They are so threatened, in fact, by that report or by that comment that they don't want anyone else to hear it because they think if you hear it, if your friend hears it, if your neighbor hears it, if the Democrat down the street hears it, then they'll change their mind. They will start demanding accountability from the political elites. And so what, what do we do? What do we do in the face of this apparatus when it is such a strong structure built to protect blatant, ab, this blatant law-breaking activity, these attacks on our democracy, this, this effort to subvert our republic and keep Democrats in power in perpetuity? What do we do? So I think there's a couple of solutions here. Big tech reform is obviously necessary. We must reform Section 230. Um, we must enforce predatory monopoly laws in our country. Parler is a perfect example of this, where it wasn't just a matter of another big tech platform needs to compete with Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Instagram, et cetera. But these platforms can't compete when the infrastructure, the underlying infrastructure, whether it's the operating systems of phones, Google, Android, or Apple iPhone, um, whether Amazon is the web hosting service for these websites, when the, when the infrastructure underneath is part of the apparatus built to protect the left, then we have to enforce predatory monopoly laws so that competition can actually happen. We have to reform Section 230 because these big tech platforms are playing a role of an editor. They're playing a role of a publisher, not a platform. This is all, this is all obvious. We know this. I'm actually going to do a much longer piece on the exact steps that conservatives in Congress, our representatives, need to take in order to not just acknowledge the problem that is big tech, but to actually do something to fix it. There's a lot of talk, a lot of talk in Congress, a lot of talk among conservatives about how much big tech is harming our country, how much this censorship is impacting in a negative way our political debate and our political apparatus. But there's not an agreement. There's not a, there's not a solution that everyone has settled on and everyone meaning in Congress. There's not a specific goal. There's a lot of people who have a lot of solutions and we need to coalesce, we need to unite, we need a plan for action and I'm almost ready to present that to you soon. We will be doing a whole episode on exactly what needs to be done about big tech. The thing is though, big tech isn't the root of the problem. It's a symptom that enables the problem. The root of the problem is corrupt politicians. Corrupt politicians are enabled by, I mean, they're the deep state, right? They're enabled many times by the administrative state. The administrative state um, is an apparatus, a liberal apparatus that enables, that enables corruption because it expands the executive branch of the government, expands executive agencies, um, executive agencies filled with bureaucrats who have no accountability to voters. So Congress defers their legislative authority to the rulemaking powers of these agencies. The rulemakers in these agencies who don't face us, the voter, make these rules that really they have no right to do. Congress has no right to delegate their legislative power to the executive branch. This administrative state is 
enormous, it's bloated, and it is one of the things that allows this corruption to happen. We saw this at the Department of Justice. We saw this at the FBI. We saw this in the CIA and the NSA. We see this in these executive agencies, and we must address this. We must abolish the administrative state. Part of that happens at the judicial level. Part of that happens at the legislative level. We have to outlaw the, we have to outlaw Congress deferring their power to these or to these executive agencies, to these administrative state agencies. Big tech, of course, covers for all of this, which is why we have to address that with big tech reform. But there's, there's a third part of this that conservatives don't talk about. There's a third part of this that is actually crucial to Democrats like Hillary Clinton getting away with what she does, not facing accountability, not even fearing accountability. You saw that video. I mean, she, did she look frightened? Did she look like she had the weight of the world on her shoulders? Did she look guilty? Well, she didn't look like she felt guilty because she knows she's not going to face accountability. So the third part of this is the mainstream media. The reason conservatives don't want to talk about this is because we conservatives tend to be free speech absolutists, and perhaps as we should be in, in general, it's a good philosophy to have. We don't want government telling us what we can and can't say. But, but the mainstream media or big media, the corporate media, the leftist media, they enjoy an immunity from, from defamation. And what I mean by that is there's a long history of defamation law in our country and even before our country in, in Britain where we, where we got most of our laws from. And it's an interesting gray area to talk about defamation law versus free speech law and how it's gotten twisted in modern America to allow the mainstream media to play this role in covering up corruption. I, I, I want to dig into this in just a second, but first I want to talk to you about my Patriot supply. Friends, one of the biggest problems that all Americans will face in 2022 is runaway food prices. I'm talking sky-high inflation. I mean, it's hitting everywhere. It's hitting everyone hard already. Imagine how much worse it's going to get, but I have a solution you're going to love. Get yourself some long-term storage emergency food from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is America's largest emergency food provider, hands down, this is the most affordable way to buy emergency food. The food is delicious. Also, I know my husband and I keep a store of backup food. We are, in a sense, uh, preppers, especially my husband. Get the four-week emergency food kit. This includes breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, and snacks. Right now, you can save $50 on each four-week kit that you order if you go to my URL. My URL is preparewithliz.com preparewithliz.com. So what you'll want to do is you want to pick up one kit for each person in your family, and then you'll be able to laugh at the sky-high food prices or even the shortages that we see of food at the grocery store. Don't wait. Go to preparewithliz.com right now. That's preparewithliz.com. We should not let the Biden administration um, impact our families so negatively. That is preparewithliz.com. Okay, so this third, this third aspect, we obviously have the administrative state, which is where corruption grows, these bureaucrats in their executive agencies. We have big tech who, well, censors for them, who covers for them, um, trying to stifle, trying to stifle the truth from being disseminated. But then we have this third, this third issue, and this is the mainstream media, because the mainstream media doesn't just censor. They don't just silence. They don't just stifle the way that big tech does. The mainstream media does something actually worse. They perpetuate lies. They perpetuate the corruption. They spread, well, to use President Trump's term, there's no better term, they spread fake news. They actually spread fake news. So you have this, this apparatus then, this, this trifecta of the corrupt politicians, big tech, and the mainstream media, and we have a solution for 
the corrupt politicians, abolish the administrative state. We have a solution for big tech, um, Section 230 reform, enforce predatory monopoly laws. But what is the solution to the mainstream media? Because free speech is free speech. A free press is a free press. These are critically important elements to a republic, a working republic like we have. How do we prevent the mainstream media from serving as a propaganda arm? How do we prevent them from telling just abject lies that they know are lies about politicians and about events, whether it's January 6th, whether it's the Russia collusion, whether it's the 2020 election, how do we stop them from disseminating falsehoods that they know are false? Well, again, I think about this. I pull this back and forth in my mind and I think, okay, well, there's there's competing interests. There's the interest of free speech and a free press and there's the interest of, there's the interest of individuals having a right not to suffer from defamation. This goes back to what I said about defamation law. There's a long history of defamation law being defamation law, even and, and married to the interest of having free speech. These things are not mutually exclusive. You can have defamation law. You can have protections against slander and libel and still enjoy free speech. And we have for hundreds and hundreds of years, both now and before the United States in the law that we brought from Britain, common law in Britain. Um, and so I had an extremely interesting conversation with Senator Ted Cruz about the case law that under, that's underlying to our defamation laws because there is a case called New York Times versus Sullivan. It's a libel law or it's a libel suit that the New York Times was defending against in which the Supreme Court raised the bar for what constitutes slander or libel if the individual who is being defamed is in the public eye, which is interesting because this is a new standard that the Supreme Court invented and it makes it almost impossible to enforce defamation laws against the media if they are slandering or if they are committing libel against public figures. And this, this video has not even been, this, this conversation I had with Senator Cruz hasn't even been published yet on Verdict Plus. I wanna give you, my viewers, a sneak peek of just a little bit of this discussion because it's crucially important to how we fight the fight against this, this, this leftist apparatus that wants to subvert our republic. Take a listen to this. Okay, so that's all the factual background. What's the legal standard? The legal standard for a libel case against a journalist uh, who has defamed a public figure is a standard that comes from a landmark Supreme Court case called New York Times versus Sullivan. And so actually the New York Times has been litigating these cases a long time. Uh, New York Times versus Sullivan set a heightened standard for defamation of a public figure. What's a public figure? A public figure is someone who runs for office, someone who consciously makes the choice to be in the public eye. And the Supreme Court uh, created this new standard that said, look, defamation law had been around for centuries. Defamation law existed long before we had a First Amendment. Um, defamation law existed in English common law, uh, but the Supreme Court, New York Times versus Sullivan, was written by Justice Brennan, and he invented this heightened standard that said to bring a lawsuit uh, for a public figure to bring a lawsuit against a journalist, you had to demonstrate actual malice. So not negligence, not 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 that you were grossly negligent even, but but actual malice, and they defined actual malice as either recklessness to whether or not what you're saying is true or false, or actual knowledge 
that it's false. And so it's a really high standard uh, of knowledge that is required on the part of the journalist. Again, uh, we really nerded out on this conversation. It was great. He obviously knows a ton about this. You can join Verdict Plus to watch the entire discussion start to finish. I think it was 20, 25 minutes. It was it was a really great discussion. Um, to, to view it as soon as it comes out, you can go to verdictwithtedcruz.com slash plus. You can use the promo code cloakroom um, for a one-month free trial on your annual subscription. Highly recommend that you watch this. I really enjoyed it because it, it, it really made clear that this standard for defamation against public figures is, is higher, it's invented, it's higher, it's different than it is for the standard to prove defamation against just an everyday citizen, if you will, because you have to prove malice. And to, how do you prove malice? Unless someone is stupid enough to write in an email, I'm intentionally saying a mean thing and I, I deliberately know that it's spreading a falsehood, which maybe there are Democrats idiotic enough to leave that kind of paper trail, but it's not going to be as common as you think. It's very difficult, in other words, to prove malice. So the, the question for conservatives is, should this standard, this elevated standard that for a, to defame a public figure, you have to prove malice, should this be the standard? Or is it time to revisit this precedent that we have in our country that there is an elevated standard to defame public officials? And I perhaps would argue that this is the third element to deconstruct this corrupt apparatus that the Democratic Party and the left has constructed in our country. We can address the administrative state. We can address big tech censorship. But to address the dissemination of the lies, the lies that underpin the corruption, that actually enable the corruption to be alive, they give lifeblood to the corruption, the mainstream media's lies are critical to that, and their lies are defamatory. Their lies are, I mean, think about the things they said about President Trump. They accused him of being a traitor and they knew this was false. And yet, should they be allowed to say that because of free speech or does that constitute defamation to the point that it's it's ruining someone's reputation, ruining someone's character based on what they know is a malicious lie? So I would argue that it is time to revisit New York Times versus Sullivan because this might be the key to the key to fighting back against this corrupt apparatus because it is it is a trifecta and you can address one you can address two but if you don't address all three prongs of it then the corruption will most likely continue it will most likely continue but um i'd love to know your thoughts on new york times versus sullivan again you can go to go to verdictwithtedcruz.com slash plus and watch the full discussion you can go to my locals community lizwheelershow.com slash locals and talk to me about it there you can try to talk to me about it on Big Tech, but I can't guarantee that they won't shut you right down or shut me down. Um, thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.